Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Remain standing with me while we read um, a teaching text for today. It's from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, and also chapter 2, verse 15. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. We thank you, Father, for your word. Great to see you. My name's Stu. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors here at Lagan Valley Vineyard, and happy Mother's Day. Um, just another, there's so much that's going on in the life of our community at the minute, um, but one other announcement that I just want to flag up, Easter is just around the corner. Um, it's kind of funny the way that the world works, for, particularly for the church, we place so much emphasis on Christmas, but actually Easter really is the real deal. And so Easter weekend is just around the corner. And can I really encourage you to prioritize that um, in your calendars and in your diaries and in your plans as we gear up for Easter. We're going to be getting together on Good Friday here for um, a service to mark the death of King Jesus. We're going to share communion together. We're going to worship and we're going to reflect on both the glory and the brutality of what he faced on the first Good Friday. And then we're going to get together, of course, on Resurrection Sunday, um, same times, 9.45, 11.30, and also for a baptism service um, in the evening to be able to celebrate the resurrection of King Jesus. Can I really encourage you to prioritize that, prioritize that with your family? It's really important for us to be able to journey through the Easter weekend, to be able to mark what happens on Good Friday, to be able to enjoy the stillness and also the tension of Holy Saturday, and then to be able to celebrate like crazy whenever it comes to Resurrection Sunday. So can I encourage you to prioritize that the next couple of weeks? That would be amazing. We're in week five of our metric series. We have been asking ourselves the question, who are we? What kind of community are we, and what kind of community do we long Lagan Valley Vineyard to become more like? And we've been teaching into seven different metrics that are going to appear on the screen. We kicked off with submission to Jesus, with the practice of baptism, so important in the life of the church, and we're so excited to be baptizing a number of you over the course of the next couple of weeks. In week two, we talked about daily devotion, how equipped are we to be able to pray and engage with the scriptures daily in the context of our lives. We then talked about evangelistic fervor. Um, how equipped are we to be able to share our faith with our friends, with our families, and with our work colleagues, and to be able to pray for God's kingdom to come? Last week, Andy spoke on generosity. And can I really encourage you, if you weren't 
you're around last Sunday, can I really encourage you to listen to the podcast? We're now available on Spotify and also on Apple Music. Um, Andy's teaching on generosity was amongst the best teaching I've ever heard on money. So practical. It was so helpful. And I know that many of you have been having conversations off the back of it. So if you weren't around last Sunday, can I really encourage you to check it out? And next Sunday, Andy's going to be picking up the series, talking about relational health and finishing off on Palm Sunday and looking at signs and wonders and engaging in the supernatural life of the kingdom. But today, I want to speak about vocational clarity. How clear do we see the connection between what you do every day and what Jesus is up to in the world. I want to thank you for filling in the metric surveys. Um, It's been really, really helpful. It's also allowed us in the office to be really geeky as we've looked through stats, as we've like looked at pie charts, and all of that's been really, really nerdy, but I kind of love that. So can I hit you with another stat this morning? Um, If you regularly show up to church between the age of 25 and 65, for those 40 years, It's estimated that you'll spend around 2,660 hours in church services and being involved in kind of organized church life. 2,660 hours. But it's also estimated that during those same 40 years, you're going to spend about 96,000 hours at work. Happy Sunday, everybody. (laughs) Now, I'm going to talk an awful lot about work today. And I just want to say something before I really get going. Um, What I mean by work is where you spend a significant chunk of your week, both investing and producing outside of home life or family life. And for many of us, that is paid employment. But for some of us, we find ourselves in a season of life whenever that looks a little bit different. And you might find yourself investing in the most important cause of them all, investing in other people. So you may be on maternity leave, you may be raising children, you may be primary caregivers. Every time I speak about work this morning, hear what you do as that thing, all right? Is that okay? Um, Some of us are also studying. Some of us are looking to the future. Some of us are involved in projects on a voluntary basis. Whenever I say work this morning, hear what you do as that And some of you also find yourself in a season where you're in between jobs, where you're unemployed. And that is a really normal part of work life. We've all been there. We've all been in seasons of transition. We've all been unemployed at a certain point. And can I just say, please don't discredit yourself this morning. And please don't discredit anything that I'm going to say as well, just because you find yourself in a moment of transition. Is that all cool? That's what I mean whenever I talk about work. Work is where you spend a significant chunk of your week both investing and producing. And here's the thing. We spend 97.23% more of our time working than in and around organized church life. 97.23%. And yet, we can find ourselves falling into the trap all of the time of only engaging with Jesus and his activity in the world in the 2.77%. Whenever we get around church, whenever we maybe show up to tribe or maybe engage with compassion every once in a while, We find ourselves confining God to 2.77%. And we do it because it's the most spiritual part of our life, right? It's the part whenever God is most alive. It's the part whenever we get to be involved in the ministry of the kingdom. Is that true, though? That's the question that I want to fire out this morning. Um, Over the past couple of weeks, you would have heard us say this time and time again. This quote is our best attempt at summing up the kind of community that we long to be. A community that surrenders our entire lives. Note that. 
not just 2.77% of our lives, but our entire lives to the rule and the reign of Jesus and learning to demonstrate that rule and reign in our lives in the context of what we do every single day, whether that's teaching or repairing or building or caring for people. And we do so for the flourishing of the community that we find ourselves in and for everybody who's a part of it. Our entire lives, not just 2.77%, but everything, and learning to demonstrate the rule and reign of Jesus in every single thing that we do. We're the kind of community, if you're getting around us, if this is your first morning, this will be really helpful for you to know. We're the kind of community to see that this is really important, what we're doing this morning, but it is not the point. We don't want to confine the work of the kingdom to 2,660 hours of our lives but we seek to demonstrate the kingdom of God in every single thing that we do. Because the reality is, and I'm going to unpack this for us this morning, our work, our workplaces, the places where we spend our nine to fives, they're one of the, if not, sorry, they're one of, if not the most potent places to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of God. This morning, I want to take a few moments to reframe how we view those 96,000 hours. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. It's the first page of the Bible. It's not going to be hard to get to. So if you want to um, open that up for me, that would be amazing. I always get tripped up with the few pages of stuff at the front. Kind of like think, hey, Genesis should be the first page, but it's always never that. There's always some weird maps or something. So Genesis 1. 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all of the wild animals and over all of the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish, of the, uh, fish in the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now jump down with me to uh, chapter 2, verse 15. And then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Two things. Keep that text open, by the way. Two things that I, I want to unpack for us this morning. Firstly, we are made in the image of God. We are made to reflect him, to represent him, to be his ambassadors in the world. But secondly, we were created to work. In the creation narrative, God has been at work bringing creation to life. And then he places humankind into the garden to steward it, to take care of it. Now, look at some of the language of this. Verse 26 of chapter 1. We're invited to rule over creation. This is royal language, like kings and like queens, like leaders. We are to govern creation. We're to give it shape. We're to give it direction. And that is not a passive thing. That, that requires us to be engaged, to actually work as rulers, as trusted rulers. Our work is to draw out the, the divine potential from all aspects of creation for the flourishing of everyone. Verse 28, we're to be fruitful. We aren't just to stick to what has been there and just leave it at that. We are to produce more. We're to unfold creation beyond where it was where we find it so that its goodness develops and spreads further and further. And today, with the pressure of working for personal comfort, for a bigger paycheck, or to try and get up on the ladder, we can be tempted to see that work is just all about us. 
us trying to fulfill our personal sense of drive and ambition. And with that, we really need to reclaim Genesis' perspective on work. Because our work is first and foremost, it's got to be a blessing to other people. It's got to be a blessing to the people that we serve, the people that we train, the people that we care for. We're to unfold creation beyond where it was, where we found it. We're to elaborate upon it so that we'll be able to release people around us into flourishing and into wholeness. And look also, chapter 2, verse 15. We're to work the garden. Now this word, work, in the original Hebrew language is really interesting. It's the Hebrew word abad. And it means to serve, to be in the work of service like I've just spoken about. But also this word abad is used many times throughout the Old Testament to describe worship. Our work isn't to be a drain on us. Actually, it is to be the thing that gives us life. It is to be our true and proper worship in the service and the glory of God and also in the blessing of other people. God has been at work in creation, but at this point in the creation narrative, he seeks co-workers, partners to reflect his image and to join him in his work. So as we invest and as we produce daily, not only do we reflect God, but actually we become more human. To work is to be human. Right at the core of humanity's purpose is work. Now, let me put it like this. Work is not a curse. There's a bit of a myth that flies around the church every once in a while that work is a result of the fall. That moment, if you're familiar with it, in the Genesis narrative, whenever sin and death enters into the world. And we kind of think, well, work happens because we did something wrong. That is simply not true. Turn over with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 says this, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat uh, food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. And drop down to verse 23. So God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken, from the ground from which Adam had sprung up. Now, you don't need me to tell you that work is hard. Every once in a while we come across this. There is overtime, things break, People don't get better. Our office isn't full of our mates all the time. Work can be quite difficult. It can be hard work. But I want you to notice that in these verses, it is so clear. It is the ground that experiences a curse, not the work itself. From now on, the ground is fractured. The fabric of the soil in which we get to live, there's something disjointed in it. There's going to be sweat on Adam and Eve's brows. They're going to have to pull in more hours. They're going to have to do more work. It's going to be a bit more of a struggle. But work itself is not a result of, is not a result of the fall. Work is not a curse. It actually is a gift. Work is a gift that is found right in the Garden of Eden. Whenever everything was in its right place, we were the kinds of people who worked. And here's the thing. Whenever we go to dwell in the city that which we long so much for, the new Jerusalem, the city that we long to dwell in, here's the thing. We're going to be working. We're going to be working. 
Now, it's not going to be toil. It's not going to be strenuous. It will be work that is restful, but we will be the kinds of people who will be working. God's original design for work remains. Now, I know what you're thinking. Work being a blessing? I write. Really? Do you know about my work? And also, how can you say that? Are you sure you only work one day a week and that one day is a morning? Like, there's two reasons. I'm sure that for many of you, that is what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, okay, Sunday morning, I'm a little bit jet lagged from the clocks turning last night, and I'm already thinking about work tomorrow. How on earth can what I do tomorrow morning be a blessing? It feels like a curse. I already have that feeling about going into work. Let me just maybe flag up two reasons why you may be thinking that work is a curse. Firstly, work life has become so incredibly focused on us as individuals. Work has become a means to an end, and that end is a certain kind of life. Whenever we're able to drive that particular car, go on that particular holiday, eat in that particular place, except fill in the blank, whatever that thing is for you. Work has become a means to an end. We just endure it simply that we'll be able to get a paycheck and then be able to live into a life of purpose. We see no purpose whenever it comes to our nine to fives. We just endure it so then we'll be able to live into the life that we want to live into. I want you to notice whenever it comes to Genesis, that whole thing is completely flipped. Work itself is full of purpose. Work itself is something to be enjoyed, to be savored, to give ourselves to, to be able to enjoy it for ourselves. And why? Because work has got very little to do with us and it's got everything to do with everybody else. Our work is to be focused on the other, not on ourselves. Not on the paycheck that we're going to get at the end of the month, but actually how through my work I can be a blessing to other people. Serve them, release them into a life of wholeness, into a life of freedom, into a life of health. Whenever we think that our work is simply about us, we've got it the wrong way around. And we need to recapture Genesis' perspective on work. Our work is an opportunity to serve other people. Second thing that might be helpful if you're thinking work is definitely not a blessing. It feels like a curse. Work can become like a curse if we do not live into the rhythm of life that we see right at the heart of Genesis. God created this place over the course of a time frame that allowed him to be able to rest, to be able to take a day whenever he was able to sit back and to enjoy creation, to be able to savor it, knowing that it was all very, very good, but to be able to rest. And then from that place, work began again. If we're not building in Sabbath, if we are not resting, if we are constantly working, if we're becoming like robots killed by workaholism, work will very quickly become like a curse. It's really important for us to maintain this healthy rhythm of life. I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. We read about it in John 15. We're to be the kind of people who abide, who rest in the vine of Jesus so that we'll be able to live into a life of fruitfulness. Work is not a curse. It is inherently good. And it is to be a blessing, a blessing to other people, but also it can be a blessing to us too. And why? Because we get to become more like our creator. This is the big thing I want to get across today. What you do in your nine to fives, your everyday life, it is full of purpose, kingdom purpose. Now in the mundane, in the routine, it might get a little bit hazy every once in a while, but I want you to consider this morning the possibility that what you'll be doing this time tomorrow may reflect what God is doing in the world. 
that actually you get the opportunity to participate in God's own work and that God is at work through you. The Bible begins with God at work. He created creation, but he didn't stop there. He sought co-workers, co-laborers, as it says in 1 Corinthians 3, to join him in what he is doing in the world. Here are five aspects of what God is doing in the world. Creativity, providence, justice, compassion, and revelation. Let me take each of these in turn. The work of creativity, this is God's fashioning of the world. We get to participate in God's own work whenever we create art, whenever we design buildings, whenever we create products. And so here's the thing. If you're a builder here this morning, if you're a digger driver, if you're an architect, if you're a chef, if you're involved in fashion, if you're involved in songwriting, if you're a joiner or if you're a gardener, you get to join in on what God is doing in the world as you work every single day. God is at work through you as you go about your nine to five work of providence, this work of provision, of providing for people, for sustaining and replenishing people's lives. This is all about what God is doing to bring order to his creation. And there's so many of you who are involved in this. Whether it's shopkeepers, you're providing as you pull up the shutter every single day, as you walk into your shop, you're literally providing for people, sustaining them, replenishing them. You're doing the work of God. If you're a policymaker, if you drive a bus, if you're an IT specialist, if you're a plumber, if you're an accountant, if you're a caretaker, a paramedic, an engineer, a customer assistant, if you're a farmer, you're involved in God's work of provision, serving people, giving them what they need. God's work of justice, his maintaining of everything that is good and ethical and just. If you're a lawyer, a solicitor, a police officer, an advocate, or an activist, you're directly involved in God's work of maintaining justice. Also, compassion. This is God's involvement in healing and of guiding and of shepherding. So if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you're a counselor, if you're a physiotherapist, even if you're the kind of person who works with feet, if you're a social worker, if you're those who foster and adopt, um, if all of you are involved in God's work of compassion, of serving people, of allowing people to experience healing and guidance towards the future, and also revelation, God's work to enlighten people with truth. So if you're a teacher, if you're a teaching assistant, if you're a scientist, a journalist, a blogger, a student, a scholar, and praise Jesus, even a Bible teacher, you're involved in God's work of revelation. Do you see? Do you see that God is at work in the world? And that actually he's at work through each of you, through what you get to do every single day. Your co-laborers, co-workers with God. Your work is so much more than the paycheck. Your work is full of purpose. It's really important for us to recognize that there is a higher purpose whenever it comes to our work. But here's the thing. We also need to recognize that we carry a real sense of power whenever we go into the workplace. It's so important for us to be diligent. It's so important for us to do a good job, to live with integrity. But the reality is anybody can do that. Our primary vocation as followers of Jesus is not our job title, but is that we are kingdom workers who carry the power of the kingdom and the presence of the king every time we step into our workplace. God is at at work in the world. He is making everything new, and his story is one of him drawing 
all of the cosmos, every single detail of it into the newness of life. And he has invited us to be the kinds of people who draw out divine potential with everything that we put our hands to. This means that every single aspect of our work, right down to the finest detail, and I mean the Excel spreadsheet line, every single detail has the potential to experience kingdom transformation. Every person, every system, every policy, every product, every community that we work with has the potential to experience a supernatural transformation because we are the ones who are showing up to work with a real sense of our purpose and a recognition of the power that we carry through the Holy Spirit. Because we are the ones that show up to work and not anybody else, we who are co-laborers with God, empowered by his Holy Spirit, because of that, it should be really, really normal for people, situations, and circumstances in our work to experience a miraculous turning around. Let me put it like this. The work of our hands should produce miracles in all areas, every aspect of our work. So important for us to recognize that. And what I love about this community is that this is truly alive in us. We're a community that recognizes the purpose of our work. And as we step into our offices, into our classrooms, into our clinics, we do so with an awareness of the power of the kingdom. And so with that, it's really normal for us to hear story after story of things turning around. Of the, organi- of the cultural organizations, they just begin to adopt the values of the kingdom. We begin to hear of products being turned around through prayer, like beer, like we heard last week, literally some prayer happened, and a beer that was feeling just turned around because somebody in our community was praying about it. It's so normal for us to be listening to the convictions of our guts, and with that, boldly starting businesses Engaging in new enterprises, it's really normal for divine appointments to be made, unexpected partnerships to be formed. It's really normal for the supernatural releasing of abundance and finances. It's really normal for people to be healed in our workplaces, for people to come to faith. It's really normal for us to find ourselves in rooms of influence and we've got no clue how on earth we got there. It's really normal for us to be the kind of community that seeks to change the very fabric of this region. Our primary vocation is being a kingdom worker who both recognize the purpose that we have and live into it with a deep sense of power. So what would it look like for your work, for your organization, for your customers, for your office, whatever you put your hands to every single day to be made new through the power of the kingdom and the presence of the king? Let me ask it like this. What would it look like for the kingdom come to literally happen through your work? What would that mean for the people that you work with, for the work that you do? What would that look like? Your job, your work, is to see that dream become a reality. There's an invitation for each of us to make the journey from seeing our work as something that is undervalued and unimportant to seeing it as something that is full of purpose and full of power. There's an invitation for us to not just look at what we do every day as work, but actually to see it as a vocation. And this requires a posture change. It means that we need to look at how we view what we do every single day. But regardless of what we do, for how long we do it, for how much or for how little, or maybe even nothing at all, each of us can make the move towards vocational clarity. And actually, it's our heart 
as leaders of this community that each of you would make that journey. Now, here's the question. What do we mean whenever we talk about vocation? Our vocation becomes so much clearer whenever we stop asking the question, what am I supposed to do? And begin by asking the question, who am I? Really quickly, I don't have time to go into this in a lot of detail, but Jack, oh, you got it up already. Um, I want to talk about um, these three areas that as we begin to do the internal work around these three questions, we'll be able to discover our vocation, what we've been invited into. Firstly, my gifts and my passions. This is whenever we ask the question, how am I hardwired by God? What skills, what talents, what giftings has he uniquely placed in me that I'm able to go and use to bless other people? Secondly, the needs of the world, the needs of people around us. Our lives are to be people-centered, focused on the other, and we are to be poured out in blessing and in service of others. And our vocation becomes so much more clear as we recognize how we are able to release other people into a life of flourishing and not just kind of focus on ourselves. So what needs do you see around you? What situations around you need to be turned around? Is there a situation in work that really unsettles you all of the time, keeps you awake at night, and you long to see change in it? God may be speaking to you. And thirdly, God's intention. What is God's intention for the work that you're engaged in? In what tangible ways, right down to the finest detail, is he wanting to see his rule and reign demonstrated? What I want you to notice is that each of you, each of you have been uniquely wired to fulfill a particular vocation. You've been uniquely positioned to bring a unique contribution to the world, to see God's kingdom come in a way that only you can see it in partnership with Jesus. And we can think all the time, that's cool, Stu, but surely God isn't interested in policy documents or changing farming practices. He's not interested in my store. He's not interested in working in that part of the community. Surely my passion for safer practices or better products or more beautiful spaces isn't important. Surely that business that I've always wanted to start, that project that I've always wanted to volunteer with, that whisper that I hear in the night, surely it isn't that much of a big deal. Parker Palmer says this, it's going to appear on the screen. Vocation does not come from a voice out there calling me to become something that I'm not. It comes from a voice in here calling me to be the person that I was born to be. There's a rabbinic parable talked about by Rabbi Zuza. This is the next slide, Jack. Who is an old man said this, in the coming world, they're, going to, they're not going to ask me, why were you not Moses? They'll ask me, why were you not Zusa? In the coming age, I firmly believe that the voice of God and others will not be asking me, why were you not Andy? Or why were you not Emma? Or why were you not like this person or that person? The question that will be asked of me is, why were you not Stu? Why did you waste your time comparing yourself to other people, trying to take on their vocation? Why did you spend so much time doing somebody else's job? Why did you not invest in who you were, listen to the voice that was ringing in you and stepped into it fully, taking up your vocation, the one that only you can do? Our vocation is not to do somebody else's job. It is to unlock who God has made us to be and then go and actually do it. 
Today, more than ever, we will miss out on our vocation because we have the sense of expectation that we need to live this kind of life and work this kind of job to fit into a certain kind of mold, to earn a certain paycheck. We kind of feel that there's expectations around us, whether that's from family, from friends, or from other people. And with that, it shuts us down from actually stepping into our vocation. And so we find ourselves enduring work that seems successful for our bank balance rather than living into a vocation that is fueled with the power of the kingdom of God. So let me ask you this morning, this is hard stuff, I know that. Are you doing somebody else's job? Trust me, the toil of our lives, it doesn't come from work, but it does come from work that isn't our own. What is your vocation? What is God inviting you to step into with such clarity? Now, I hope that you've been reminded. This is kind of, there's a, I've fired a lot at you this morning. I'm really, really aware of that. But I hope that you've been reminded or seen for the first time that we don't need to confine kingdom work to 2,660 hours. But actually, our work can be full of purpose. It can be full of the transforming power of the kingdom of God. And I want to land this for us. And I want to land it um, by doing something that's going to be really fun. And by interviewing somebody who is living fully into her vocation. And is doing it with such clarity and such hard work. And as she does this, is seeing Jesus bring transformation to people's bodies and to people's lives. And this is going to be so much fun because I'm going to get to interview my wife. So can you welcome Emma? And she's going to come on up. There you go, that's yours. Thank you. Awesome. Um, last week, whenever I was preparing this, um, I just knew I had to interview Em, and then I had that moment of going home and chatting about it, and you think, hey, can, can we, can we like, hear from you? Can I interview you? And Emma's reaction was like, no, I do not want to do that. <laughs> and then I was like, no, no, it'll be so good, it'll be so good. It's like, no, 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 stay. I really don't want to do that. So um, I'm really glad that you're doing this. It was great. Um, Emma, what will you be doing? Uh, by the way, this is not how conversation works in the Bothell household. It's like this kind of feels with notes and um, with questions. But what will you be doing this time tomorrow? Um, this time tomorrow, I will be getting up and getting ready to go to work. Um, I work as a physiotherapist um, on the Lisburn Road. Um, about three years ago, my uh, colleague Ruth and I, we set up Formation Physiotherapy. Um, so day to day, uh, my job consists of treating people, of looking after the diary, of answering phone calls, of admin, of all the normal day to day activities of being a physiotherapist. And then in addition to that, then um, all the chaos that comes with trying to run a business. Um, so that's, that, is, that is what I do. That's great. And why do you do what you do? Um, I absolutely love what I get to do. I think what I get to do completely reflects me. Um, I love the community of people that I get to treat. Um, Ruth and I have decided from the word go that we, we try to spend an hour with everybody. Um, so we get this lovely time, this privileged time to listen to people, to hear about what pro is problem, what is their big problem, and then we get to treat it. So we get to physically um, help uh, sort of restore their well-being. Um, I get, I, of course, the normal Monday morning feeling of not wanting to get out of bed, not wanting to go to work. Um, but I do know that at the end of the, of the day, when I come home at the end of the week, at the end of the month, when I look back at what I've done with my 
40-hour week, um, I get to see that I get such a buzz from it. I absolutely love it. I um, feel like I get to be a little bit more of myself when I go to work. Um, so when Ruth and I set up the business, um, we tried to reflect ourselves in what we do every day. Um, so we prioritize people. We try to be as generous as we can with our time. We welcome people into our little office space and into the treatment rooms. We help with physically healing them and we do our very best whenever we meet problems where they're not getting better as quickly as we'd like. We try to do our best to um, learn and go on courses and do all those things in order to try to do our job the best we can. That's great. Um, the aspect of work that Emma is most involved in, in terms of the five aspects that we talked about earlier is, of course, um, the work of compassion, joining in God's work of healing of people's bodies. How have you been able to connect the dots in between what God is doing in the world and what you get to do every single day? Um, well, two years ago, Compass was really important in that, so it gave me a chance with a whole lot of other people in this community um, just to explore how my workplace is a sacred and a holy place that I get to be in every day. Um, I guess I always understood, or for a long time I've understood, that God cares about what I get to do every day, um, that I get to be a vis physical representation of Jesus in my work, but... Um, you know, in how I conduct myself, in how I treat people, and how we welcome people. But more recently, um, not only do I get to sort of proactively do that in the present, but I equally get to join in with what God's dreaming up and what I want to dream up for the future um, of our business and of our clinic. Um, you know, I work in the area of healthcare and in physiotherapy, so I do that every day. And so I know the ins and outs of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and there are things that frustrate me. There are things that just don't seem right. There are things that I'm not content with and I want to see change in. And recently, um, and we have story after story of this in, in work about how um, you know, we've discovered that God wants to join in on that uh, dreaming up with us as we start to um, see uh, hopeless situations become hope-filled, as we get to see people who have been, you know, chronically unwell get to become, you know, pain-free or that they have a better quality of life, they have greater well-being. Um, so yes, practically what that looks like um, for us as I try to join up the dots of trying to bring the kingdom into work is a lot of it's through prayer. So every day on my way to work, um, you know, before I leave the house, I'm looking at my diary to see who's in that day. And I get to pray for those individuals. I get to ask God to come into the room with us as we do our treatment and as we um, talk and as I listen. Um, occasionally actually asking, can I pray for certain people? Um, within our business as well, Ruth and I would do quarterly meetings. And so we ask at these quarterly, we start our quarterly meetings with asking the Holy Spirit just to come and be present. Um, because we have no idea what we're doing in terms of business. As a physio, I feel we know what we're doing, but in business, we have no idea. And so we ask the Holy Spirit just to give us um, strategy. Um, and with that, then we need to take risks. So that's, um, that's kind of how we connect that. Can I challenge us all, actually, to do what is kind of built into Emma's daily practice of on the way to work to pray for what you're about to step into, uh, to not neglect what we're going to do and I'll just kind of think we'll just get into work mode and then kind of endure it and then get out the other end. But actually to take a moment on your walk in, on the commute in, just to pray for what you're going to step into and, and see what God does actually as you begin to 
to pray because prayer is the practice that allows us to one recognize our deep sense of purpose whenever it comes to work but also opens us up to a deep sense of power so can i really encourage you to do that um final question i promise um all of this sounds great but i live with you and um and i know that you do not talk as glowingly on some days about formation physiotherapy um, talk to us about that I suppose like <laughs> us all that um, yeah some days I don't come home believing that you know everything's all worked out and I totally work to the best of my ability that day or um, I you know I seen things happen that I really wanted to see happen and discoveries happen but um, yeah so some days are awful like the admin gets on top of you, you feel completely overwhelmed, you're tired, people aren't getting better the way I hope them to, finance isn't working out the way it should. Um, but when we set the business up three years ago, um, we took a massive risk with that. And from day one, we have had, my colleague Ruth and I have had to practice coming back to Jesus constantly and trusting that we're doing the right thing. Um, and so in those little moments where you come back, you're like, what on earth is this? Do I even want to do this anymore? Am I doing the right thing? I just come back to the same three truths, which are like, God, you have me in this role to serve, um, that I am good, <laughs> I am doing good, and I need to be kinder myself. Um, and that I am building foundations in God's kingdom with what I do every day. Hit us with those three things again. Just so um, well, they're my three things. Yeah, you might ha- you might have more. No, but no. Um, the three things are that um, that God has me in this role to serve, um, that I am doing good, and that I need to be kinder to myself, and that I am building foundations for the future of the kingdom. That's great. It's amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I want you to notice two things. Um, one, Jack, can you flick the diagram up? Um, as you've heard Emma speak, and she has spoken about all three of these things with such clarity, um, and the reality is, is that all of us are closer to vocational clarity than we think that we are. We're much closer towards living into a life full of purpose whenever it comes to work. And that is just so inherent in who we are. And sometimes it just needs a little bit of poking around just to be able to think around, okay, what is God inviting me into? And actually, you're probably already doing it. You just need to be a bit more focused in it. So like, I just want you to notice that, that actually you're much closer to vocational clarity than you think that you are. The second thing that I want you to notice is this. Right at the heart of who we are as a family, but also who we are collectively here as a family at Lagan Valley Vineyard, is the belief that there is absolutely no hierarchy whenever it comes to ministry. We dismiss, strongly dismiss, the idea that ministry, the kingdom work, can only take place in 2,660 hours of your life. Emma and I are both ministers in the kingdom. We are both doing the Father's business, and we do it equally. Now, our contexts are totally different, but there is absolutely nothing inferior about the treatment room whenever it comes to the work of the kingdom. There is nothing inferior about the shop, about the workyard, about the highest areas of government. There is absolutely nothing inferior about your work compared to mine, just as it is whenever it comes to us and our family. Our vocation as leaders of this community is not to start ministries, but to release ministers into your everyday lives, to equip each of you for the work of kingdom ministry. That is the heart of who we are as family. 
We get to serve as family. And just because I get to do that in the context of church does not mean anything, really. We are both kingdom workers. So please, please, please do not confine kingdom work to 2,660 hours of your life. Allow it to take hold of everything that you do. Because as you open yourself up to what Jesus is wanting to do through your nine to five, you will find the greatest sense of purpose. I just want to take a moment before um, Emma steps down. I want to take a moment to recognize and also honor the reality that to do the kind of thing like set up a business as a 26-year-old, but for many of you to be able to live into your vocation, it requires a lot of really hard work behind the scenes that is it is tireless it is unseen i want you to know that we recognize what you do we see you we honor you for it we are here for you in any single moment that you want us to be in with you but we just want to recognize that so many of you are pouring your lives out you're tired because you're working so so hard We recognize that. We want to honor you for it. But please hear me. You're doing the work of the kingdom. You're doing God's work as you do it. Can we give Emma a massive round of applause? All right, let's stand together, shall we, as we come to a close. I want to pray for us just before we wrap up. Um. Let's just close our eyes for a moment and let's just, let's just wait on Jesus. I'm really conscious, actually, it is Mothering Sunday, and I do have a sense that uh, for some of you, as I've been speaking, or maybe this is something that's been stirring, that um, you... Um, you feel uh, the call to start a business or to go and speak to a boss about a new venture. And I'm really aware that's an intimate thing. So can I invite us all to close our eyes, um, if that's cool? Um, If that is you and you feel as if God is inviting you into this, but you feel nervous about it, I'd love to just pray for you. So if that is you, would you just raise your hand? Awesome. Is there anybody else? Yeah, great. Great. Let me let me. You can drop your hands down. Thank you. Let me let me pray for you. Father, on this Mothering Sunday, I pray that you would birth new businesses, new ventures, and that you would equip my brothers and sisters with a deep sense of courage. Holy Spirit, would you empower them for the conversations that they need to have, for the wrestle that they need to go through to be able to bring this thing to life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would resource them. And give them all that they need. Lord, would you bless them with courage. And may they see that what they're stepping into is not just for them, but is for the sake of what you're doing in communities around this region. Would you bless the work of their hands, I pray. Fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. And release them into the newness of new ventures, of new businesses. Give them all that they need, I pray. And I want to pray for any of us who feel a sense of weight this morning around our work. Maybe we, um, we've been considering our work simply just as a job, and actually we feel this urge to be able to move towards vocation, 
to be able to see actually that what we get to do tomorrow is the work of the kingdom. So if the Lord has been speaking to you, if you feel that sense of weight, can I just invite you very simply just to place your hands out in front of you, just as a sign of receiving from the Lord and what he's going to do. And I would love to pray for you. If you love to be able to take up the call of vocation. Lord Jesus, forgive us for undermining and undervaluing work. And would you release us into the fullness of purpose with the equipping of your power for the sake of those people that we get to work with, for the sake of our organizations, for the sake of the culture that we're involved in. Lord Jesus, may we take up the mantle of being kingdom workers who see transformation in every single thing that we do. I pray for tomorrow morning. I pray that we would begin to see supernatural signs of your kingdom through our work. Lead us into that. And Holy Spirit, we recognize your need, our need for you to lead us into that kind of life. So would you fill us right now, I pray. Fill us afresh. Equip us and empower us. Psalm 90 verse 17 says this. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So Lord, may your favor rest upon us. And may the work of our hands produce miracles, I pray. In Jesus' name.